0: Welcome to Video Store. My name is Sam Mulberry. Today we're going to be talking about the 1989 film Field of Dreams. So let's step into Barrett Fisher's Video Store uh, to see how he's doing. How you doing, Barrett? I'm doing well. Thanks, Sam. Barrett, I am so thrilled to talk about this. This is this is probably on the short list of the movies I've seen the most in my life, like the most number of times in my life. And I'll we'll, we'll talk a little bit. Of, maybe we'll even start with biography um, mm. here a little bit in terms of uh, history with this film. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a very broad question, and I'm gonna let you go wherever you want with this in terms of uh, in terms of biography. But what is your history with this film? With well, this book? Well, well, let me finish the question. With this book. Okay with Kinsella and with baseball. So like you can go oh, yeah. in any direction oh, you want with that.
1: Oh, wow. That, yeah, that, that is broad. Um, okay, so I think, let me start with, let me start with my history with, uh, with the film, which is also in a sense, uh, history with the book. Um, I think I, okay, I'm, I'm pretty sure I had seen the film probably about the time that it came out Um, But then in 1996, I was teaching a class uh, in magical realism, and um, one of the things I wanted to do in the class was, uh, as much as possible, uh, either read books that were magical realist or watch films that were magical realist, or both. So um, that's when I read Shoeless Joe and then paired that with the the movie. So in a sense, it was kind of of an academic uh, connection initially for me. Um, my personal connection, which we can talk about more but maybe later, is um, it's one of those films that uh, makes me cry uh, every time I watch it and I oh, know I I'm, have
0: that on the list. <laughs> oh yeah, and,
1: and I know I'm gonna cry and in fact, this time I cried at, at this, the place I always cry, and then I cried at another place where I haven't cried before. So um, and there's some personal history be, 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 behind that. And then baseball, I mean, I don't know. I, um, baseball was the first sport I ever paid attention to. Um, I'm not a particularly athletic person, and really it was my brother, who is athletic, that kind of got me involved in sports. And I still remember when I was 10 years old, I said, okay, um, now I'm going to be a sports fan, um, and uh, I, I wonder who I should root for. So at that time, we were getting the sporting news Uh, And I read about this up-and-coming catcher, and I was playing catcher in Little League. I read about this up-and-coming catcher named Thurman Munson, who was uh, catching for the Yankees. And I didn't know anything about, you know, the Yankees equal U.S. Steel or any of that stuff. Because at that time, the Yankees weren't even playing 500 ball. Uh, They were in a long decline since the 64 World Series. So to root for the Yankees in those days was to root for the Twins, in a sense. They were always in the second division, always being beaten up by the Orioles. So I adopted Thurman Munson and the Yankees as my team. Um, and that's, that's been the way it, it's been for uh, what is that 51 years uh, since then. So um, yeah.
0: I have to say, as you talk about courses that you've taught, like it's such a great picture of what like a liberal arts college should be. Like every time you mention a course, like, Oh, I was teaching in class on this very specific thing. I'm like, that sounds great. I want to take that class. So, <laughs> um, So you get me excited at least listening to that. For me, this is, the, my connection to baseball, my connection to um, to this film, um, my connection to lots of things. This I realized this time watching it through how much this movie has impacted the trajectory of my life. Um, so this came out in 1989. I think I first. I was, I was born in 1977 grew up in Southern Minnesota. So I became a baseball fan in 1987, which if you know anything about baseball, that's Mm -hmm. the twins won the world series that year. Um, So like, that was my, I I think I was sort of vaguely aware, but that's the excitement around that got me into watching that team. And then just made me fall in love with it. And we talked at the, uh, I think in the, one of the first episodes about anticipation for a movie, I have a distinct memory uh, probably in 1988. So the town I, I grew up in, had an old movie theater that just had two screens. And um, there was no lobby. Like, you you, you bought your ticket at the window that was outside, and then you went into the theaters. And I remember waiting in a long line, and we were just about to buy tickets, and they would have posters of movies that were coming out. And I distinctly remember seeing, I didn't know who Kevin Costner was, but seeing Kevin Costner on the poster for Field of Dreams, and for some reason, the transaction ahead of us took a long time. So I spent a long time as a 10 or 11 year old looking at this picture and just thinking, I want to see that movie. I, I just got really excited for it. Just looking at that poster. Um, and then this made me want to read the book. Um, the problem was the, this was a really popular movie. So the book was checked out of the library for (laughs) two or three years. So instead I read another book by WP Kinsella. Um, when I was, in eighth grade, I think, um, called the Iowa baseball confederacy. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever, are you familiar with that? Book? I
1: haven't read it, but I'm aware of it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it was, it might be the first book I ever loved. Now I will say it's not a great book, but I was a kid. What do I know? Right. Um, and, and I, it it like doubles and triples down on the magical realism stuff um but like i remember right uh we had to do a creative book report on the iowa baseball confederacy so what i did instead because we weren't allowed to write a paper so i made baseball cards for every character in the thing. it was just like it was a <laughs> really cool project and i just i spent so much time on that um so and then i eventually read shoeless joe um and actually one of my favorite kinsella books he wrote a book in 90 sometime in the early nineties called box socials um, mm-hmm. which is a little bit about baseball, but more it's, it's about um, small town life in Canada, which is where he see. Mm-hmm. I, re, I always assumed he was from Iowa, but he's actually from Canada mm-hmm. and uh, it's sort of Garrison Keillory a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. And I don't think it, it, it lacks some of the, the, the magic of these other things, but it, but I loved that book. Um, and actually sitting on my desk, um, since 1994, every place I've ever been and worked, I have this, uh, this is a framed ticket stub to when Kinsella spoke <laughs> at McAllister college in 1994. And I have his autograph here. It says oh, go the oh, distance, God. Bill Kinsella. So, um, he, he was my first favorite writer. Um, mm. and again, I don't think he's the greatest writer in the world, but as a kid, like this was my, this is also my entry into reading like uh, grown-up books. Mm-hmm. It's the first time I remember distinctly the thing I read before it was definitely like, uh, an older children's book. And then I read the Iowa baseball confederacy and I was like, Oh, now I'm like a reader of novels. The other thing that this book did for me is this in an odd way, sparked my passion for computer programming, (laughs) which sounds strange, but, 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 um, I was really into, since I was was really little, I had, I learned how to program computers, but I, but the key to programming or doing anything like this or probably writing is to have a project. And I remember seeing Field of Dreams. And one of the other things I did when I, once I've watched Field of Dreams is I went out and bought a baseball encyclopedia so i'm showing barrett here this is a 1989 baseball encyclopedia okay. and completely unnecessary text at this point um it's basically baseball reference if somebody printed it all out um and i wrote a baseball simulator that oh. i called field of dreams and it was and i went through and i i made the dividing line at 1945 and i created two teams and, did, and it was a statistical simulator and i would sit and Um, keep score in like a a paper scorebook as I would watch these games play out between these two all-star teams. Um, And it was because of this movie. I was like, I want to make what happened in that movie happen. And so like, so Shoeless Joe was my, was the left fielder on the, uh, I forget what the old timey team was called, but, but yeah, it was so, so like so much of my life leading up to college was, was, impacted by this movie this is also i think the first movie i owned on vhs and i have probably seen this uh, no a hundred times because if this, this would i would just put this on when i was in the house so i know this was another another movie where i know every breath in this film every silence in this film i know um so
1: sam, sam wait a tell me that you wrote to wp cancel and told him about your uh, computer project
0: uh i'm sure i did not oh you you, you sure Yeah. And actually I have to say this 1994 reading, I didn't get to go to it. My brother bought me a ticket and he went, but it was also, so this was February. What does it say here? Uh, February, 24th, 1995, which was the last game in my very unremarkable high school basketball career. That was when we lost our last playoff game and I, my high school basketball career was over. So I couldn't go to this. And I was a bench player and I, I wanted to tell my coach, can I go see WV Kinsella? Cause you're not going to play me in this game. So I sat on the bench that whole game and we lost and oh. yeah, um, <laughs> so so this is a this is a movie that i have watched over the course of 31 years in my life i mean i saw it in 89 and kept seeing it and the thing that um struck me is how much my viewing of this has changed over time so i want to this is where we're, we're going to move into where we cry because i kind of want to start there actually mm-hmm. um when i was a kid i as an 11 12 year old I could watch this movie every day and just have it on in the background. I am in, I could not do that now because it's, I'm an emotional wreck when I watch it. And so I have to wheel this out with my kids every once in a while and tell them like, you guys know I'm going to cry this whole time and I'm going to cry at spots. I didn't expect. Um, and it starts pretty early in the movie for me <laughs> that, I, that, that I start that um, the thing that strikes me now, because I saw this, like I said, for the first time when I was 12 is when race, Ray talks about himself being 36 years old. I'm now 43 years old. So I started watching this when I was close to Karen's age. I was a little older than Karen. And now I'm older than Ray. <laughs> so, so, so the way I view this is very different. Um, so uh, I guess I want let, to let's just talk about the, what are the parts of the, this movie or why does this movie make you cry? Because that, as I was reading about this film online, that is a very common um entry point for someone reflecting on the movie field of dreams.
1: Well, the, the, the primary movie, the primary reason the movie makes, makes me cry is because, um, my father died when I was a freshman in college. Um, and unlike Ray, I, I had a good relationship with my father, um, up until the last 10 months of his life. And there were some events that happened that, that caused a lot of problems. So, um, so it's for me. It's 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 always been the scene, you know, at the end of the film when when you discover that the payoff is that Ray gets to meet his father, gets to be reconciled with with, with his father. Uh, and so you know, when he says, you know, Dad, do you want to have a catch? I mean, that's you know, I I, I lose it at that point. Um, but this time, I also found myself losing it um, earlier when Karen says, "People will come," and 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 I did not expect uh, my emotional response to that. Um, and it might have been partly because I was anticipating the fact that his dad was gonna show up, but also I think one of the things that the movie obviously taps into, um, and, I, and I now view it with a little more ambivalence than I used to, but th- the movie taps into that kind of, um, that primal need, right? That, um, that is, as uh, Terrence Mann says, um, it's money they have, but it's peace they want. Um, and I think it's one of the many ways in which I found this movie having an unusual relationship to contemporary events. Um, and so I, I, think it's, I think it's that notion of people wanting to um, recapture a golden age that may or may, may, or may not have existed. Um, it's pure romanticism, it's located in childhood, which it is for you, of course. Um, and, and then to have, the, to have the little girl be the oracular voice Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and she gets, as you know, there's a couple points in the movie where she, where she gets to, to uh, speak up and, and initially she's not listened to. And then when you listen to her, she's actually got, you know, this major insight. Um, so that, that kind of, that kind of set me off as well. I think because like everybody else, um, we're all feeling, you know, I'm feeling enormous tensions right now from a variety of uh, causes. And so to be told that, you know, there's, there's a, there's a place where you could find peace. Um, you know, that was really
0: affecting me. There's also a great part in Karen's uh, "People Will Come" speech where she says another very true thing, which is she says they'll come to Iowa City and they'll think it's really boring. Oh, <laughs> and it's okay. just like that's great because that that actually, uh, I if you've spent any time in in cities in Iowa, they're lovely, but they're not maybe the most exciting places in the world. <laughs> um, yeah, for me, it's it's I feel like. I am so open to just being manipulated when I watch this movie. Like, like I, I, I buy every, everything that they're selling in terms of this is, this is going to hit you. Like for me, the, the Moonlight Graham stuff is, is always been my favorite um, to the point where I'm almost exhausted by the time Ray meets his dad. Like I'll cry at that, but that's just, uh, but I'm, I'm out of tears at that point. Um, every and, and not even the Moonlight Graham at the baseball field when he crosses over the line. But, um, I don't know that i'm super familiar with like burt lancaster as an actor and other, i mean i know he's been in tons of stuff but i don't know that i've seen a lot of movies he's in but the the scene when they're in chisholm they go back to 1972 i just like i i love every second of that that is another scene that has changed my life i think all the time about um when he says you know we we don't recognize the most importance of an moments in our lives as they're happening and i remember as a kid saying hearing that and thinking that's my goal is i want to i want to be aware enough in the moment to know when something important's happening and and also know that i'll know that i'll miss them but always mm-hmm. think back about that i've that's something i've recited to myself you know as i've reflected on things like where are those those really pivotal moments and you know and 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 what are the times when i missed them when they were happening and what are the times when i was in the moment enough to be aware, oh, this, this is important. Um, or that idea of, uh, that idea of having a dream, you know, come this close to your dream and then having it pass by you like a stranger. Like, mm-hmm. I, like that. I just, everything about that scene hits me hard.
1: But I, but I also like the flip side of that scene, Sam, which kind of connects back to uh, Sullivan's travels. Um, you know, where doc Chisholm, where, where, where uh, Moonlight Graham says, you know, he, he, he wouldn't want to leave Chisholm because uh, he's, he's, he's had a, i mean he doesn't say, say say it exactly like this but that 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 was his calling yep he's 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 had a significant life there so he's a little bit like john l solomon realizing it's okay to make comedies you know that yes i'm sorry i missed that that moment i'm sorry that i didn't know that was that was the, that was the big moment of my life but at the same time what i've done here you know, um, and, and, and it's got that, you know, it's got the, it's a wonderful life element to it. Right. Absolutely. That, uh, yeah. You know, yeah. That, so, so I, I kind of like that, that other side of that scene. Yeah.
0: Like, and I remember yeah. as, as a kid seeing it, being upset at him. And then when he says the line, if I'd only got to be a doctor for a day, now that would have been a tragedy. Exactly, yeah. And then the next scene, Terrence Mann is, is saying, you know, well, maybe we came here to learn that one inning can change the world and raise like, did it, and he's like, it did for these people. If he had gotten a hit, he might have stayed exactly. in baseball. And yeah. it's like, and 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 you get that, you know, you get the the obituary that the that the the woman at the newspaper reads mm-hmm. um, about like all the stuff that he did. And it's like, well, yeah, that's that's the stuff that matters, right? And and so so at the same time that it's this sort of praising of baseball, the movie is all this. It's also saying like, yeah, but it's these other things too, you know, yeah. like yeah, yeah and, you know.
1: yeah, and then he gets to make that moral choice all over again when he steps off the field. Uh, And he kind of reaffirms that that's actually what he was meant
0: to do. Absolutely. Have you ever visited the Field of Dreams? So this is not that far away from us. No,
1: I I never have. Um, And of course, I was really interested in the idea of the the game they were going to have down there this summer, whether or not that still happens. But no, I've never been down there.
0: Yeah, so I've been twice. And I will say it's exactly what you want it to be, which is at first you're like, oh, it'd be kind of cool to see it. And then as you're on your way there, you think wait a minute, I've been to a baseball field before. This is just going to be a baseball field in the middle of nowhere. And it is, but then you get there and something happens. So I've gone twice. I went in the kind of early nineties at the end of high school. I went with my parents um, because we were all fans of the movie. And like, again, I just like, I'm not sure why we're doing this, but we're going to do it. And like, we were there and my dad and I played catch and It was kind of great. And it was kind of perfect. But then last summer I went with my parents and and then my wife and and our two kids went. And again, there's something, there's something magical about that place. I, I, my daughter and I played catch out in left field for, it seemed like four hours. I'm sure it wasn't that long, but it seemed like that. And then there was, there were just people who were would come and there's like a perpetual baseball game going and you can just sort of step in and taking an it bat and play out in the field. And there's nothing commercial there. You don't pay it, nothing. You don't have to pay to park there. You don't have to pay to go out on the field. And there's like a little concession stand kind of thing, but it's just this almost pure thing out there. That's mm-hmm. it's, it's I, I would recommend it. It's really mm-hmm. kind of, uh, kind of fantastic and bring it's your good. glove, bring a ball. And like, Thank it's, it. There, there's something, uh, something really powerful about that. Um, another thing that struck me as I was watching this is this is a very 1980s movie yeah. you know, in in terms of the uh, backstory of Ray and Annie and the the. Annie's brother, Mark, like, like this, this, it's a very eighties tension, um, uh, that jumped out at me in the same way. Um, I am another product of the eighties, like the TV show family ties is about these people who were kind of post hippies dealing with a Reagan era world and dealing with a sort of Reagan era view of economics. And, and, um, that jumped out at me watching it now in ways that in 1989, I don't think I, I think I was, I mean, cause we're, I was living in it. So I don't think I saw it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and of course, Timothy Busfield shows up as her brother, and he uh, he at the time had been starring in 30-something, which was kind of you know a big, the big 1980s significant uh, social commentary show.
0: Yeah. Right, right.
1: And Kevin Costner was riding high. He'd just done Bull Durham a couple years before. Yeah.
0: So, so this movie had um, kind of mixed critical response when it came out. I mean, Roger yeah. Ebert gave it four stars. or are people who um, <laughs> sort of we're taken in by the magic of the movie. And then there's lots of people who are like, this is corny. (laughs) Um, uh, And then in in hindsight, this gets compared, and this is already a name that you brought up. um, It gets compared sort of to a Capra movie, Mm -hmm. um, uh, to, you know, Capra, Jimmy Stewart movies. We even see, jimmy stewart in i mean not in a cap movie but we see jimmy stewart in the movie um apparently he was uh, offered the the role of moonlight graham and turned it moonlight down on. so okay. they got jimmy stewart in the movie by playing the clip from uh harvey
1: yeah <laughs> well I, I, evidently burt lancaster was not inclined to take the role at first either but he was persuaded to and it turned out to be his last film actually
0: um so what do you think what do you think of the the sort of mixed response to this movie in the moment You
1: know, I'm, I'm a little more mixed in my own response because of the moment. Um, you know, one of the things that, that struck me about the movie is that, um, it's overwhelmingly, um, white, (laughs) right. And, um, and, and I found a certain kind of, um, of irony is the right word. Um, it's more like, it seems tone deaf now to have the only black character in the film, uh, James Earl Jones deliver that kind of, um, what the critics would call kind of sentimental claptrap mm-hmm. uh, about, about baseball. You know, the, the notion that baseball is kind of this one constant, that baseball is kind of the American identity that, you know, baseball is sort of almost this, this beacon of hope or like I said earlier, this golden age. Um, and it, it rings a little hollow right now. Um, you can't blame the filmmakers for that. Um, but I, but I also think it's not only because of this moment right now, but it's also because if you think about the condition of baseball in 1989 and the condition of baseball now, um, you know, 1994, you have the season ended by an extended strike. Uh, then by the end of the 90s, you have um, the steroid era and all the controversies asso- associated with that. Um, and then you just have this kind of crisis of identity, you know, baseball, isn't the national game anymore. Um, And even though, and and even though players are making obscene amounts of money, we now have arguments about um, to what degree should baseball become more mechanized? To what degree do we use technology in baseball? Um, I mean, I I actually get kind of sad when I watch older clips of baseball games because um, it does seem like there's something that's been lost uh, in, in the game. Um, but at the same time, I feel like, well, I can afford to have that kind of nostalgia. There's um, mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of people that can't. So
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's all—it's also—and I know uh, even the the writer director Philip Alden Robinson talked about um, since the movie came out, the regret of like even the players that they bring back. It's like it's yeah. not like baseball doesn't have a bad history of injustice towards um, towards players of color. Like like it would be so, it would have been so easy in hindsight to be like, well, why is josh gibson not there like like you could i mean like 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 you, even if it's just in the background i mean there's because most yeah. of the players you don't you don't meet but even visually you know and 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 i think archie graham points out a couple players but like it, it would have been even that would have been so easy to do and the fact that when you think about who terrence Mann is or who he's who we um who we make him out to be in the movie like uh the fact that he wouldn't bring something up about that seems a little bit strange too. Yeah,
1: yeah. And, and and even the fact that Terrence Mann is in the movie was essentially a um it was something they had to do because JD Salinger was gonna sue them if they'd use J.D. Salinger the way it is in the book. So even that's kind of an accident. Um, mm-hmm. but,
0: but making uh, him making him a character that is more of a uh you know, James Baldwin crossed with um crossed with JD Salinger like he would have a comment about what's out on the field, you would think.
1: And, and, and also, making him, a, making him a character that is kind of the catalyst for the high school PTA scene, which, um, to me, it, it's, a, it's a great scene, but it, it, never, it doesn't quite work for me in terms of the rest of the film. Um, I mean, it's great. I mean, obviously, there's, there's reasons for the scene um, in terms of character motivation, and I suppose there are some, there are some thematic connections in terms of freedom, um, but it kind of sticks out to me. It, it seems a little. Um, it's a scene that draws attention to itself in ways that are a little bit uh, false. So
0: mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so we talked about this as a uh, in an earlier episode as one of the best examples of adapting a, a novel to a film, and, and maybe one where the film is better than the novel. Mm. Is that your sense?
1: I think so because I mean, I to be frank, Sam, I don't remember the novel very well. Um, and I, and I know that you're a WP Kinsella fan, so maybe you're, you're actually better qualified on this than I am. But just because I don't know the book that well, and I know that, and I, and, and I do know the film. So, uh,
0: Yeah, I, I would say my memory, and I haven't read this since the nineties. So my memory of the novel is a little sketchy too, but I remember reading it after I saw the film and I had the, the one response that you never have when you read the book, you know, and, and, and watch the film, which is, Oh, the novel's way, way more complicated and it's worse. It's like 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 there was just there was just a lot more mechanics going on and a lot more stuff that he went into and described. And it's like, oh, actually, I kind of like that I don't know about this, and I don't know how this appeared to this person. And they took out a couple, a couple other storylines. So it's like it's a much the, the film is a much cleaner story, and usually that's not a good thing. Usually you have this sense of, oh, this thing, this opportunity was lost. But I actually feel like all of the edits were good edits. Everything that they took out was like, "Oh, that actually made it made it much much cleaner."
1: Well, I think that's a really good point because some people talk about um, successful adaptations being faithful, but I think you have to be careful what exactly faithful means. I think faithful means being able to translate elements of the of one medium into another. That means leaving certain things out or sometimes putting putting certain things in. To me, that that's what makes an adaptation successful. I, I would say it's a successful adaptation if you can experience um, the story in both in both media. In other words, if you feel like I can watch this film and I can read this book, and they are complementary experiences. To me, that's where you have a really successful uh, adaptation.
0: Absolutely. Um, I'm trying to think of other questions I have here. I have just a I kind of just have a list of characters because I sort of want your thoughts on. Uh, we talked about Moonlight Graham a little bit. Um, uh, how about the character of Ray Kinsella as a uh, uh, sort of as this um, as our sort of entry point into into this world when I mean, we get we get a, a chunk of his um, mm-hmm. of his history. Um, I think Costner is pretty amazing in this because this is this would be such a I think this would be a very hard movie to 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 play. it would be a hard role to play because you have to have this kind of. Um, you have to take these fantastical things seriously and respond to them and uh, and react to them in particular kinds of, and I feel like like everything about him in this movie seems pretty perfect
1: yeah, it's a uh, it, it, it's kind of a tom hanks uh Jimmy Stewart kind of role um and and again, I think about it, it's a wonderful life in, in, in that in that sense um yeah I, I mean, it's it's interesting because he you know he, he get, he, you get you get a prologue. Uh, and it's a, and he's very upfront about his motive. It's interesting when a character comments on his own motivation, right? That mm-hmm. you know he's 36 years old and he's afraid of turning it into into his father. Um, I, I I like the way that they kind of um, elide how it is he does become a farmer, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> not, not quite sure what he's been doing until he's 36 and becomes a farmer, but yeah, there's a there's a real um, earnestness about him. Uh, that, I, that I think he captures really quite quite beautifully, and I think it's also um, important that uh, he and Amy Madigan have. I think that there there's a real good chemistry uh, between those two good characters, and I think there's there's just the right amount of um, of doubt and yet conviction about mm-hmm. about about what they're about what they're both doing. Um, and I think there's almost um, I think with his character there's almost a uh, there's, there's almost a um, a, a biblical paraba- parabolic element about it's almost as though he's the man that sells the field in order to get the pearl of great price um and and i kind of believe in him being willing to do that
0: yeah i i, I love one of my uh, again this is this is one of those every moment of the film is something i remember but i love the moment when after the field is field is built and they're they're i think they're sitting out in in the infield and he stands up and he like surveys the whole thing and he just says, "I have created something totally illogical, totally illogical. exactly." And because it's and it's it's this like moment of pride. I mean, because it's and this I think also goes to like the um, 60s 80s tension of like I ha- he is not creating an industry. He's not a he's not a any or, or he's not creating this thing that makes money. He's not he instead he's creating this thing which makes no sense and he has this great pride in it. And I yeah. I, I just find that beautiful. <laughs>
1: And, 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 of course, that's one of the paradoxes of the film is that, you know, in order to escape his father's legacy, he creates the very thing that brings his father back. Right. Um, but at the same time, Sam, you just touched on another thing that really that this time around bugged me about the film. And, <laughs> and and that is the fact that you in this film, you get to have your cake and eat it, too. Right. Um, you, you, you get to fulfill your dream. You, you get to present, you get to offer people this, uh, you, you, get, you get to commit an act of penance. That's what Terrence Mann calls it. This is your penance. You get to commit an act of penance. Uh, you get to give people uh, magical water they can dip themselves in, and they'll easily shell over 20 bucks to do that. And to me, that's how this film is so fundamentally American. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, you can do the right thing uh, and do the spiritual thing, and you can make money at it at the same time. And that uh, that 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 hit me the wrong way this
0: time around. Right. I will say though as a kid that gave me such relief because I I watched the whole movie just feeling that as a kid the feeling the tension of like how are they going to pay for this? Are they going to lose the like like that I as a kid that stuff was was very stressful to me. Mm-hmm. So when there was just this sense of oh this is this is going to not because it's not framed in terms of this is going to make us money, but this is going to sustain itself. You know, although embedded in that is, we're now set, right? Like, well,
1: I, I, I'm afraid that I really date myself now. What's going through my head is, uh, there's I don't know if you know the old satirist Tom Lehrer uh, from the 1950s, but he has a song about the called the old dope peddler, uh, and he says the old dope peddler is doing well by doing good. Um, <laughs> to me, that's <laughs>
0: I will say one of the things that always bothered me as a, as a kid, and, and I realized this is part of the, this is where, like, I don't like the version of the magical realism is that all of those people are coming and there's this, when it, you know, the, the final shot as, as they sort of, it's probably a helicopter shot, right? Going out and you see the long line of, of car lights and all these people are coming and it's like, everybody just left the game. And and I realized like, okay, a version yep. of that is well, everybody's coming to see what they're coming to see. And but like, but I wanted it to be they're coming to see this, like these people. <laughs> and so so like I always I always struggled with that. I wanted I I didn't want the lineup of people to come after all the players have left the field. Because I don't want everyone to have I want us to have a collective experience, not an individual experience right, of, right, of right. this. Yeah. Um another thing that that um jumped out at me, uh about this movie watching it this time and and as i think back probably all in all time is um some of the sensory stuff in this movie this has some of the greatest baseball foley work of all time mm-hmm. like just the sounds mm-hmm. like like the, there's a moment and this is, this is hyper-specific, but there's a moment when, uh, after Shoeless Joe first comes onto the field and Ray's hitting him balls, and then they walk to the backstop and they're talking, and Shoeless Joe takes two bats out of a bag, and there's this, like, perfect sound of two wooden bats kind of sliding up against each other and lightly clacking and and to, to my mind this maybe me as a baseball fan to my mind that may be the perfect sound that's ever been yeah. created and and in and and then throughout the film there's just really great baseball sound in this oh, yeah. Yeah. um and 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 and, and they talk a lot about this sort of sensory part of baseball Mm -hmm. He talks about like putting a glove up to your, up to your face and smell, or smelling a glove or a ball feeling the, the grass. I mean, there's, there's a lot of that sensory stuff works on me too. Like just, um, um, sort of the sense that, and then another part of the sensory is the, uh, the James Horner score is like, in my blood like i can i I think i would cry if i just heard the music and i used to have this soundtrack and this is what i would listen to when Mm. i would be writing papers because there's no words so i because i I can't do academic work if there's any other words around but i would put Mm. this on loop as i would write papers because um but but yeah so i just feel like like there's there's a lot going on that is um sort of sensory stuff in this movie that seems really powerful um so where does this movie fit for you in terms of thinking about other baseball movies? Do you have other, 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 other baseball movies that you love? Are there other baseball movies that this makes you think about?
1: Um, I, well, the most obvious one that makes me think about would be, uh, John sales eight men out. Which,
0: which was the before. same year
1: or, uh, it, or maybe it, the next year? A couple years before actually. Okay. Yeah. So, and, uh, yeah, which is, of course, a very different kind of take on uh, on the black Sox scandal. Um, and it's a good film, but it's a, it's a very different a very different kind of film. There is, of course, Bull Durham, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Kevin Costner's uh, previous, previous baseball film. Um, and then there's a film that I've actually never seen the entire film uh, for some reason, but uh, Robert Redford's In the Natural, um, which, of course, is another film that adapts another kind of magic realist book, Bernard Malamud's novel. Uh, and I remember reading that novel and being completely baffled by it. I must've been like 11 or 12. I couldn't understand those elements of magical realism. It didn't make any I couldn't. I couldn't understand what was going on. Well, it's um, funny.
0: It's, it's funny you say that because at the end of last episode, when you said, and this obviously leads to one of my favorite baseball films, I thought, Oh, is it the natural? Because the natural is also a retelling of the Odyssey. I mean, there, there are so many like Homeric and sort of King Arthur references throughout the, and and sort of mythological references in the natural
1: yeah and then you know more more recently i uh i like 42 um i think that that's a that's a good film um uh 61 asterisk 61 was kind of an interesting baseball film but i'd say 42 was was that that's a really fine fine film although it's as much about the uh, as much about issues as it is about about baseball but it's got some really good performances
0: uh anything else about feel the dreams that we didn't talk about that you want to uh that well, you want to bring up
1: yeah i i guess i i just felt like i wanted to make a couple more connections to other films that we that we've watched oh absolutely um, um you know i thought i've already made that connection back to our brother where art though but i mean i mean to sullivan's travels but i thought you know it connected to me with with lars and the real girl um as a, a story about Reconciliation between father and son. Uh, when I think about the way the father in *Lars and Real Girl* was described, um, mm-hmm. you know, he also had lost a wife early. Uh, he also uh, he was he was described as very sad and, and broken in some ways, which is also true of Ray's father. Um, and then thinking about oh Brother*, we're out there, right? The uh, the idea that um, you're seeking and, and finding unexpected treasure. Uh, mm-hmm. You know what what Ray is looking for, what he thinks. You know, he, he, he really doesn't know what his quest is until until the very end uh and that's really sort of what's going on with our brother where art thou and of course our brother out there also is a film that's very explicit about you know people are looking for some kind of meaning in life and this is a film that tells you you know uh the meaning in life is uh as i said earlier it's romanticism let's go back to those uh, to those good old childhood childhood days
0: and we have we have in this uh, sort of a there's a section of this movie that where they're on the road as well, and there's this sort of travel over 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 space. And and I love the conversations. Uh, I could I could have watched so much more of them in that van talking about stuff because like you know and I, and there's there is something about uh, I think there's something about driving and having a conversation because you're not looking at each other. So mm-hmm. so everybody is sort of almost by definition gazing at the horizon, gazing at the distance as they're having, and it makes it, I don't know if that makes the conversations seem deeper or they become deeper because we're not constantly getting, getting visual feedback from each other. But, um, but I love, I love the, when they're driving back to Iowa from, from Chisholm and that's, that's when Ray sort of really lays out the stuff with his father. I love when uh, Terrence Mann asks him, um, you know, why did you, why at 14 did you stop? playing catch with your father and he said well that's when i read the, the boat rocker by terrence Mann." <laughs> and like and that, that's just a great one but i also love when ray's driving to boston and he's practicing how am yeah. i going to get this guy because he, he realizes and i'm sure the whole way there he wasn't thinking about it but the closer he got he realizes I'm not just gonna get this guy to come with me. And so he's rehearsing these things. And like, that's the kind of way that I inter- that I do a lot of interactions is I, I think through, okay, what, how does this sound? How does this sound? How am I gonna do this? If I have to talk to someone, I don't know. So I thought that was actually a very uh, on point scene um, in that way.
1: Which just, just sparked my memory, uh, Sam, one of my favorite scenes, uh, parts of that scene is when uh, Terrence Mann says,
0: I know where you're from, you're from the sixties. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I also love what, uh, when 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 he's he says you know he grabs the crowbar and he says I'm going to beat you with a crowbar you <laughs> leave yeah and, and and then and he realizes oh you're right I actually have to live up to these convictions <laughs> so oh, that's a great which is um, also,
1: you know, which is also another sub theme of the film right that it's also about the the renewal of Terrence Mann absolutely um, and it's interesting I, I almost always forget every time I watch the film. That he goes into the field and and that he doesn't emerge. Uh, that you don't you you don't know uh, if Terrence Mann comes back or not. So, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Um, this is also another movie set in Iowa. So this is our second movie that uh, that has a, a largely Iowan setting. Very different than the Straight Story. Although I do love, um, very like tertiary. Characters who are, who who Ray encounters. Um, I love the faces in this movie too. Like when he's at the feed store talking to the different farmers or um, things like that. Like like and in the same way, there are some great faces in the Straight Story. I feel like there's some great faces in the uh, Iowa farmers in this movie. Oh,
1: yeah, especially the scene where he talks about hearing voices. Yeah, you know? mm-hmm. but you know, I'm glad you brought up the Straight Story because it also it, it all seems to me there's another um, theme in several of the films you have watched. That would be the Straight Story. Uh, even Babette's Feast, Um, this theme of reconciliation, Uh, people coming to grips with broken relationships, whether they're familiar or communal, and and healing those, uh, restoring those. I think that several of these films have that as in common.
0: Absolutely. So what do we have up for next week,
1: Barrett? Well, you know, as I've alluded to several times, Sam, I I, I watched this film with kind of different eyes because of our our current circumstances. Um, And one of the things that we talked about with movies uh, i think it was last week is that uh, you know one of the great things about films is you can lose yourself for an hour and a half or two hours but i think the other great thing about films is you also films uh cause you to engage the world in different ways and you've talked a lot about the uh, the impact the films have had on you so i couldn't help but think over the last 10 days or so about spike lee's do the right thing um and i just feel as though that's a film that i want to revisit um in part because I want to know in a way how that film looks different to me from from 1989. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And it just seems like it's, it's hard for me right now not to be thinking about what it means to watch films, but also what it means to respond to real events. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that's been, that's been on my mind a lot. So I think that revisiting do the right thing might be the right thing to do.
0: That sounds great. And, and like you said, th- this, it is another 1989 film. So we could also pair these two as like two um, kind of visions of America, two very different visions of America coming out of the same um, coming out of the same year at the end of the same decade um, from very different filmmakers.
1: And Spike Lee is a really interesting filmmaker. Uh, and I just I, I look, just want the excuse to watch the film again.
0: Sounds great. Well, I am excited to watch that. He's one of my he's one of my favorites, so I can't wait to watch that. Um, thank you for this conversation. Thank you for getting me to watch this film for the two hundredth time. I'm sure though, I'm sure there's another two hundred uh, out ahead of me. Thank you for making me cry, um, or putting me in a position to make. You didn't make me cry, but you put me in a position to cry a lot. Um, we will. That's all we have for right now. We will catch you next week uh, in the video store when we talk about Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing.